Thanks, Jason. It's great to be here with you tonight. Um, I want to give you an update on Operation Get to Friday. Uh, that's what I'm calling it in our family with my wife being out of town and uh, trying to manage our three kids by myself. My goal is just to get to Friday and all of us be alive uh, when she comes home. And uh, yesterday I was sharing with you that I, I got them ready for school and uh, our daughter ready for school, our other two ready for daycare, fixed bottles, packed lunches, and got in the car, looked in the rearview mirror, and I'm, I'm driving down the road and I'm looking at my son who's got breakfast smothered all over his face, jelly, chocolate, all these things, and I look at my daughter and her hair is matted. I didn't even brush it before we went to school. This morning, you would be proud of me. This morning, the bottles were made. I made them last night when I got in. Packed lunch last night when I got in. Laid out clothes last night when I got in. Everything was ready to go. Kids get up this morning. We're jiving. We're going. Things are going great. Brushed my daughter's hair. Actually looked like she came from a responsible family when dropped her off. We get to school and drop her off and I cross over and we live in Raleigh and so Raleigh's traffic is horrible and I have to cross this road called Capitol Boulevard uh, which is a major thoroughfare uh, between where my daughter goes to school and where our two sons go to daycare. I'm driving across Capitol Boulevard and I hear my four-year-old say, Dad, I'm not buckled in. And I, I, I literally froze, and I looked at the back, and he sits in one of those booster seats. And I had gone 12 miles driving down the road with my son not buckled in at all. And literally, Operation Get to Friday Alive, it's only Tuesday night. It's not looking good for us right now. It's, it's amazing to me. The things we do in life where we feel like, I'm actually doing all right. I, I, I'm, I'm making it. I, I'm... I'm getting there, I'm, I'm doing great at work, I'm, I'm on my way to retirement, I've got great neighbors, I've got great kids. And then you take a step back and you, you look at your life or, or you look at where you really are. And the layers get pulled back and then you start seeing shortcomings. You start seeing, well, it looked good, things, things were okay, but now that I'm getting a clear vision of it, I'm, there's things I'm missing. There, there's things that aren't good. Sunday night, we kicked off talking about a guy that I, I shared with you. We, I preach on him every year at Northside, a, a king by the name of Joash. And there is a good part to his life, the, the, the things he did to restore the temple. But if you were to take a step back and look at his life and to see how the priest guided and directed him all of the days the priest was alive, and the moment that the priest goes off the scene and Joash is left on his own, his faith is non-existent. And he begins doing things that, that make no sense at all. I am sure there were moments in Joash's life where he thought, things are going good for me. Things are moving right along. Look at the temple being built. I've got this person who's telling me everything I need to do in life and I'm succeeding in all of those things. Last night we looked at kicking off... What we're going to talk tonight about, too, is, is praying. And, and these specific statements in Scripture where you and I might not see them as prayers, but, but they are. And we talked about Peter, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and going out and, and sending his disciples out onto the lake. A storm comes up, and, and they're rowing. The Scripture tells us in this in the fourth watch of the night. And all of a sudden, these guys that are in the boat, a third of them are fishermen. That's what they do in life. They see this, what they think is a ghost coming across the water. And they cry out 
And they hear the words of Christ, words I'm sure he spoke to them before, do not be afraid. And Peter's response is, Lord, if it's you, call me out onto the water. And Jesus' words, it's not even words, Jesus' word to him is come. Now, I, I, I don't imagine what that conversation looked like in the boat. All the disciples are there, they look out, they see this ghost, they think it's something that's going to come and bring them harm or, or hurt them. And they hear the words of Jesus and they see Peter, the, the most impetuous one of them all, saying, Jesus, if it's you, Lord, if it's you, call me out of the boat. Get me to come. I know if I was a disciple, I would have been like, go right ahead. You, Peter, that is all you. We're watching, man. We're cheering you on. Peter gets out of the boat. He begins walking and he keeps his eyes on Jesus until he begins hearing things and seeing things. And scripture says the moment he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he what? You remember what happens? Begins to sink. And he cries out. We talked about the primal fear of drowning. I don't know if you've ever been held underwater. It is a primal fear that every human being has. Losing your breath. Peter speaks these words to Jesus. Save me. Jesus, save me. That might have been a prayer that many of you have prayed before. Might have been a prayer of salvation where you found an altar or you found someone who had shared the gospel with you in a way that maybe you've never heard it before. And your prayer is, Jesus, I want you to save me. Maybe that's a prayer you've prayed already this week. Maybe there's been situations in your life where you're up against it and, and your only word, your only prayer is, Jesus, save me. I can't tell you how many times I hear that prayer in the hospital where I work. Jesus, save me. Tonight, we're looking at another prayer. Last night, I used the word dangerous prayers. I, I think these are dangerous prayers. If you ask God to save you, I think most of us would presume that if, if Jesus does, in fact, do that work in your life, if he saves you, then you and I have to live lives of indebtedness to him. Think about that for a moment. If someone physically saved you from something, how many of us would spend the rest of our life trying to atone for that? Trying to, to live up to the standards of whoever it is it was that saved us. Maybe we name our child after that individual. Maybe we go and, and try to pay homage to that individual any way we can. We make that prayer of asking Jesus to save us. He does. He lifted Peter up. He lifts us up. Is it a prayer that, that we mean when we pray it? In Isaiah chapter 6, I would invite you to take your Bible and turn there. We're going to read a familiar passage of Scripture. It's especially familiar if you grew up in the church. Isaiah 6. And the prayer tonight is, is one that I, I, I want to challenge you. As you think about revival, as you think about what it means for a church congregation to come together and say, Jesus, we so desperately want you to touch our lives. We so desperately want to have a deeper relationship with you. I want you to think about Isaiah's prayer. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
the whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And I love this verse. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You go on and read the rest, and this is where it gets really familiar. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. I want to ask you a very serious question tonight. And I, and I say serious because I really want you to think about how you would answer it. This isn't a rhetorical question. I want you to think about how you would answer this in your own personal life. What kind of prayers, what kind of prayers, in your opinion, reach the heart of God? I ask that because with our kids at home right now, we say the same prayer every night. We're trying to teach them to pray at dinner. And we say the same prayer. And our daughter, who's six, a couple weeks ago, made the statement, Dad, why do we say the same words? And I don't know about you, but prayers can get so mechanical. And even the timing of our prayers when we get up, when we go to bed, before dinner, that we say the same things. And maybe it began with a heart that was sincere. Maybe it began with a heart that was pure. But over time, maybe it has turned into this is what we do. This isn't necessarily our offering thanks. This is giving everyone permission to eat. Or this isn't a prayer of ending the day. This is a prayer so that I can sleep with a better conscience tonight. This isn't a prayer of starting my day. This is a prayer of, well, this is what you do every morning. I'm not asking this to be incriminating. I'm asking this because in my life, as a pastor, there are so many times where my prayer life becomes mechanical. It's talking to God, not in a way that I think reaches his heart, but in a way that fulfills the need of mine. You get what I'm saying? It meets the obligation that I feel like I owe to God. So I'm asking you, what kind of prayers do you think reach the heart of God? I think people who pray dangerously, people who pray, God, send me, God, save me, God, use me. I think people who pray those prayers are are people whose spiritual resolve is so strong that they have not counted What could be on the other side of those prayers? They have not thought about what God could in fact ask them to do. They are so desiring in their life for God to hear their heart. That they're opening themselves up and saying, God, this is this is who I am. This is my heart right now for you. And I'm telling you, wherever you want me to go, send me whatever you want to do in my life. Take me however you want to save me. Save me. I think dangerous prayers are, in fact, prayers that take us deeper in our relationship with God. It's beyond bedtime and mealtime and waking up type of prayers. It's more than just following this routine of 
when we pray and, and what we say, particularly in, in situations like mine where even my daughter says, why do we say the same thing? That's fine if there's meaning behind it. That's fine if there is conviction behind it. But we talked about on Sunday night, if we are doing things as followers primarily because we have no conviction, then we're missing it. And it is so easy for our walk with God to become everything but conviction. Maybe thinking, Adrian, I don't like the idea of praying dangerous prayers. I don't mean danger in that something bad's going to happen to you if you pray these prayers. What I mean is, are, are there things that you ask God for in your life that you know if he answers me, it is going to propel me from wherever I am in my relationship with God to a deeper place with him, and I'm going to have to respond. It's not a safe prayer. It's not God bless me today or God use me today or, or God, I, I want you to help me to have a good day. No, it's prayers of God. If you put someone in my life, help me to live out the gospel. God, I'm asking you to help me raise my children. God, I'm asking you that you would send me wherever you want me to go today. God, I'm asking that you would save me. Those prayers require a response. Because if God's going to respond to us and answer us in those prayers, then you better believe there has to be a response from each of us when he does speak. Some prayers are easy. Some prayers, I would say, are dangerous. I mean, what happens when God actually answers our prayers? It's interesting being with people who pray and what they're praying for actually happens. And they, they, they have this epiphany. God answered my prayers. And, and in my mind, that's often the easy part. Because God's capable of doing whatever he wants to do. If God wants to answer your prayer, he's going to answer your prayer. I would tell you the challenging part is how are you and I going to live after he answers that prayer? How are you and I going to respond in our life when God lives up to his end of the bargain and does what we are asking him to do there's been a lot of people who've thrown up what i would call the hail mary type prayers not the catholic prayers the i'm going deep here and if it happens great but i have no expectation that it's really going to take place the prayers of god if you do this i'll i'll give up all of this or god if you somehow get me out of this situation then i'll i'll, I'll change my life i'll go to church twice on sunday and all of a sudden it happens and we're left scratching our heads saying, I didn't, God, you know my heart. You know that I, I, I sometimes say things that I don't mean. That was an example, God. I didn't really mean that, what I was saying. I want to ask you another question. How many of you have been in situations where you have already determined the outcome of what you're praying for? And you already have been convinced that God's really not going to answer this. And so I'm, I'm going to pray because it seems like the spiritual thing to do. It seems like what I should do in my life. But I've, I've already figured out what the answer is going to be. We can have preconceived ideas of what things would be, how things would turn out. We experience hesitation. We have fear. I remember going to my future father-in-law and mother-in-law and, and sitting down with them and saying, I want to marry your daughter. Could I have your, your, your blessing in that? 
And, and I was so fearful of what their response was going to be. It, it had nothing to do with the, the, the relationship that we had. I mean, I, they, they would always say, we love you. We, we want you to be a part of our family. But there was this hesitation in asking. There was this fear in asking because what if the response isn't what I thought it would be? What if they don't seem as excited as I am about asking the question? What if they thought, oh, gosh, I wish our daughter would have aimed a little higher. I mean, marrying a minister, oh, great. And then we get on the other side and we realize, well, it's not as bad as I thought. We're introduced to this prophet, and I want to give you a little background on him. Isaiah is an interesting guy. He's considered to be a major prophet in the Old Testament, and and major by the definition that of that being when you look at certain books in the Old Testament, namely the prophetic books, you see books that are longer and books that are shorter. It doesn't mean that Isaiah is somehow a better prophet. It just means that his prophecy and his era of ministry stretched out a pretty long time. He was around about a thousand years before Jesus Christ. His name means the Lord is salvation. And there's this experience that he has with God that completely changes him i don't know if you were following along as we read this but he is called up into this temple and he sees all of these amazing things that you and i i don't think we even can do it justice i don't think hollywood can do it justice angels that are floating that have six eyes a a, a train that follows god that that stretches and fills the whole temple smoke and and doorposts shaking in my mind i read this and i think this is completely scary and i think that was isaiah's response too oh my gosh he even says woe to me i'm done I, i i'm i'm finished i am a man of unclean lips and what is amazing to me is that when you think about his profession as a prophet the, the one thing that he picks out that God has called him to do to go and speak this prophetic message is the very thing that he says incriminates him. Not woe to me, I have an unclean mind. Not woe to me, I have an unclean heart. Woe to me, I have the very thing that God has asked me to go and use. I have unclean lips. It's a powerful vision, being in the temple of God's presence. Shaking and rattling, things like that, that's never good. Isaiah realizes that it's him and only him in the presence of God. There is something to our lives when you realize that it is just you and God alone. That he is dealing with you. He's not dealing with your your spouse. He's not dealing with your mom or dad. You're sitting in a service. You're sitting at home. And you realize that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your life. And maybe there's no one else that's hearing it. And you and God are one-on-one. And he's talking to you. And you are at a place where you have to respond. Isaiah gets a glimpse of who God is, and his response says, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. God moments can be loud, they can be earth-shattering, they can be peaceful, they can be serene. For Isaiah, this moment changed his life. What about you? What about those times where you feel you're in the presence of God? Does it change you? Do you leave saying, my goodness, I've never been in the presence of something so powerful before. And it has changed me. 
It's changed the way I think. It's changed the way I respond. It changes the way that I pray. And to tell you the kind of God we serve, Isaiah is there and he's in this temple and he's seeing the presence of God and he thinks that what is about to happen next is utter destruction, that he is done. And scripture says that an angel goes and takes a coal off the altar and brings it with tongs. And I'm just imagining this scene in my mind. What is Isaiah thinking? And the very thing that he says is the thing that is going to bring death and destruction for him is the very thing that's touched and restored. You have been atoned for. Being in the presence of God is not always bad. Being in the presence of God doesn't always mean things are scary or that God's going to do something that's going to hurt you. I think there are so many Christians that are fearful of praying dangerous prayers because they don't know what's on the other side of it. And they have these illusions that God is going to ask them to do something that they don't want to do. Maybe God wants to forgive you. Maybe God wants to restore you. Maybe God wants to give you a hope and a future. Isaiah is touched and it leads to this place of, and and the only word I can think of is the word surrender. Of realizing what has just happened in his life. And he hears this message that is spoken. Who is going to go for us? Isaiah doesn't respond because he looks around and realizes he's the only one in the room. I'm convinced he responds because in that moment, he realizes just what it means to be touched by God. And when you've been touched by God, you do not want to be touched by anything else. There is nothing that compares to having God's hand upon your life. And there's nothing that seems impossible. There's nothing that seems so far out there that it can't be done. If Jesus is on your side, if God is on your side. We're trained in this world to take no prisoners, to win at all costs. The idea of surrendering flies in the face of American stoicism. It flies in the face of of the message of you do it yourself. You you, you make your own way and you, you go at it alone. The idea of somehow surrendering, of, of putting our life not just on hold, but giving our life to someone else. Well, in our society, that seems crazy. The idea of surrendering, I, I'm convinced is what keeps a lot of Christians from really understanding what God's heart is like. I think about the relationships that that I have, namely with my spouse right now. And I think there are different ways that I can know my wife, Shoshana. I can keep my distance from her, and, and I can know about her. I can know her attributes. I can know what, I can read the tea leaves if she's had a good day. I, I can tell if, if things are going well for her by her body language. and But, th- but there's more to it than that. And, and what is amazing to me is when, when you and I begin to surrender ourselves to one another and, and begin opening up our hearts and listening, it is amazing how those relationships grow deeper and deeper and deeper. I, I'm convinced the same is true for God. 
that when you and I open our hearts to God, when you and I say, here I am, I'm right here, God, and I'm opening up my life to you, and I'm letting you see all of these things, the more of God we get to see. We make statements like God is faithful, Jesus is love, God is all-powerful. Those are attributes. Do you really know it? Do you, have you experienced it? If you haven't surrendered, I, I'm not so sure you have experienced it. You may have seen it. But there's a difference between witnessing something and having something happen in your life. Maybe saying, Adrian, surrendering what? Surrendering to God doesn't mean that you always are leaving these horrible circumstances or that you've lived a life that is on the threshold of hell and you've got this testimony that is awful. Surrendering doesn't mean that you're turning from this life of drugs and sin and all these different things. Sometimes surrendering is giving up our day-to-day thoughts and, and priorities to Jesus. Sometimes surrendering is saying, God, where I am today, as good as things are, I know when I have a relationship with you or when I know you better and I love you more, that things will be infinitely better. Sometimes it's surrendering apathy. Sometimes it's surrendering our weariness. How many of you in here tonight are weary? How many of you feel so beaten down by the pressures of this life that getting here tonight was a chore? And, and your life is just going one thing to the next. How many of you here tonight? Because it's what, it's what we do. As Keith Green reminded us in that tape we played Sunday night, the, the, the fire on the altar hasn't gone out, but the fire on the hearts of the people in that believing fellowship isn't there anymore. Do you believe that Jesus wants your apathy? Do you believe that Jesus wants your weariness? I'm here tonight to tell you he does. I'm here tonight to tell you that whatever you're carrying, whatever you're holding on to, whatever you think that God doesn't want, that Jesus isn't capable of carrying, I'm here tonight to tell you he is. And he does want it. And he does want to take your burdens. And when Jesus takes your burdens... And when Jesus fills your life, the natural response is, here I am. The reality is, is all of us are going to be faced with the idea of surrendering. It happens to us every day. There's things that happen in our life where we have no choice but to surrender. There's things that happen in our life where we're made, we're all, we're faced with making the decision. Am I going to give this to God or am I going to try and manipulate and fix the situation myself? We're, we're faced sometimes with, I feel God pulling at my heart. I feel the Holy Spirit working in my life. But we make decisions to ignore it. We make decisions to, to tell God, not now. Later, but not now. What I find amazing is, Isaiah responds, and, and this is the, what happens next. He says, I, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And notice the response of, of what is spoken to Isaiah. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. 
be ever seeing but never perceiving. What is he telling them? Go and tell these people that they're present in all of these different ways, but they don't get it. Coming to revival does not make you any closer to God than you sitting at home tonight not being here. You believe that? Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Isaiah has given this prophecy to a group of people who have become so stiff-necked. And, and, and I'm not sharing this tonight saying, wow, when, when, I, when I think of stiff-necked people, Unity Church comes to my mind. That's not the message. The message is for all of us who stand on the outside saying to Jesus, I've got it. I got it. I like my relationship with you. I, I, I like where we are. But let's just keep our conversation the way it's always been. Let's just keep how you're using me the way it's always been. This routine that we've got, it's good. Don't bring me into your presence because there's things that I don't want to see. Don't change me too much because there's things that I necessarily don't want to do. The people of Isaiah's day were so scandalous. And, and the word is coming to Isaiah, go to these people and tell them. Almost in a rhetorical fashion. You do all of these things, but don't do this, because if you do this, you might just see the hand of God in your life. I think about this passage of Scripture when we planted Northside Community Church. And when we went to our conference to, to talk about planting, there were, there were three of us. We were all 22 years old when we planted. And there were, in, in the midst of conversation with, with the superintendent and, and others, there were some different options of, of places to go. One option was that we used to have an Advent Christian church in Charleston, South Carolina. I don't know if you've ever been to Charleston, South Carolina. It's a, it's a fun college town, among other things. And telling three 22-year-old guys, hey, you thought about Charleston, South Carolina? It was like, hmm, I don't know if God's calling us to be in North Carolina or not. Charleston, South Carolina sounds pretty good. There was the, the opportunity to look at North Raleigh, and that's, in fact, where the church name came from. We, we were looking at the North Raleigh area. And North Raleigh at that time, 2000, 2000 to 2005, was really a, a, a blossoming area. So much development was happening and the gentleman that was working with us, kind of coaching us along the way, came to us and said, by the time you guys get there to plant, there was going to be 50 new church plants. Every denomination was targeting North Raleigh. And he said, if you're looking to just go and start a church because the area is growing, I'm telling you there's not a need. But if you want to know where a need is, he says, there's this town outside of Raleigh called Nightdale. And I grew up in Garner. I had heard of Nightdale. Nightdale was seven miles away from Raleigh. And and it was, it was a town that was up and coming in some ways. But I will never forget going out there in 2001 and crossing the Noose River. And if you've been to Nightdale, you know exactly where I'm talking about. As soon as you cross the Noose River on what is now the 64 uh, business, there's this sign that says Nightdale up, and it's got the stone around it. And I remember as soon as passing that, this, this feeling that came over me of this is where you're supposed to be. 
And there's been a few moments in my life where I really felt like I've been in the presence of God. Not because of anything I did, but because of God's generosity and graciousness to me. And that was one of those moments. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm 37 years old. And, and the older I get, the, the, the more desperate I get for wanting those moments in my life. Where I really feel that I'm not in the presence of a nation that's doing well or a nation that's on the brink of collapse. I'm, I'm not in the position of, of hearing my kids say they love me and then at the next minute being mad because I'm having to discipline them. I, I so desperately want to feel what I have felt in moments throughout my life. To be in the presence of God. I don't necessarily look at Isaiah and say I'm envious, but I, I've experienced those other moments where I, I have felt so much of, of God's touch. And maybe I'm hoping that revival brings that selfishly. The old adage is, is that pastors preach sermons that they need to hear because it's things they're struggling with so that if no one else gets anything out of it, the pastor does. It's true in my life right now. Life can get so busy with good things that we miss God inviting us to see great things. Tonight, I hope you see the prayer of God, here I am, send me as a prayer that brings freedom and not slavery. As a prayer that opens up all kinds of things for God to do in your life. Things that you've never maybe experienced before. And I don't know that He's going to send you to, to places beyond Four Oaks or Johnston County. The invitation might be to be sent in ways that you and I can't even begin to fathom. But it starts with a heart that recognizes who God is and who we are. I'm telling you tonight, the only way I think we really understand that is when we're like Isaiah and we're standing in the presence of God. And you realize just how powerful, just how awesome, just how majestic He really is. Tonight, as we close, I, I, want, I want to finish with the question we started. What kind of prayers do you think reach the heart of God? And I want to end it with another question. When is the last time you felt like you prayed for Him? I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Lord, It almost feels routine to even come to you in prayer right now because that's how we typically end services. We, we pray prayers asking you to move, asking for your Holy Spirit to move as if your Holy Spirit has not been moving all along. And Father, I, I don't presume to know what being in your presence looks like for these people. But I, I do believe that you desire for us to be in your presence. Father, I, I don't believe that you hide yourself from us when we're seeking you. 
But God, I, I also believe that if we're not seeking you, somehow just wandering along the way, that the likelihood of, of stumbling into your presence are not the best odds. Lord, as you look upon our hearts tonight, may you see hearts that are desiring to pursue you as you pursue us. Hearts that that desire to be in your presence and hearts that once in your presence recognize who you are and who we are. So God, I'm just I'm going to stop. May your spirit speak and move in ways that continue to reflect your working in our lives. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.